welcome to another episode of Sit Down and Think, where we get the skinny on the latest happenings in animation. Netflix most recently dropped its latest animated venture called Dead End Paranormal Park based off the acclaimed book series Dead India. Today, I'm joined by the creator of both the book and the animated series, Hamish Steele. Hello. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you for being here. Honestly, it's very interesting being able to talk to you after seeing Dead End Paranormal Park. Because as I was watching, I was like, wow, this is definitely a very different type of series than what we normally get. (laughs) I'm glad you say that. I think some people see the style and they compare it to a bunch of other stuff. Um, Usually, I take it as a compliment because they're usually comparing it to shows I really love. Um, But we did try and make something pretty unique um, in terms of story. So, yeah, thank you for saying that. So I just want to know, so what exactly inspired Dead End? Like, there's certainly a lot of influence you could see throughout the series, but what exactly were the particular inspirations with this type of series? So I'm like a huge horror fan, and I particularly love kind of weird 70s psychedelic uh, sort of horror movies, things like Suspiria, which is what the Dead End Deer comics were sort of named after and things like that where it's horror but it's really colorful and really loud and um yeah so I that's kind of the key inspiration from the kind of horror side of things and to be honest I, I like both so it's all based on this kind of original short that I did for YouTube um mm. about 10 years ago now and after I did that short, I turned it into the comics and now the show. And every time it's been like, I, I, you know, getting a show or getting a short or getting the opportunity to do a comic, I just throw everything I love into one thing. So it's like the type of characters I like writing, the type of genre I like, which is this horror, um, the type of like comedy and sort of teen drama stuff that I think I'm like drawn to writing most it just all kind of like is thrown together into what i want to make and the times that i've tried to pitch other stuff and it's been a different genre a different kind of show um they haven't been as successful because i think dead end has always just been where everything i love about making animation has gone to like a a drip tray (laughs) of all of my sort of interests uh but yeah, so that that original short, um, I pitched to it was for we were for Cartoon Hangover, who do like Bee and Puppy Cat and uh, things like that. So mm. they were looking for submissions, and I pitched uh, something pretty different, but it had Barney and Norma in it, uh, the main characters from the show, mm. and they liked the characters, but they didn't love the plot i i kind of sent them a time travel plot thing so it was like a lot of backgrounds a lot of a lot of stuff mm. um so i just chose a haunted house because i love uh halloween i love um haunted house attractions any like theme park the place i want to go to most is the scariest uh i used to my birthday's in october so we used to go to the theme park at my birthday where it was all decorated as halloween stuff so maybe that explains everything wow um yeah okay that's that's interesting like i definitely see a lot of like that childhood influence of you know those horror theme parks you would see during around like halloween time so yeah it is interesting especially with this type of setting where it because usually that is like a a basic horror theme setting of just the haunted uh or abandoned amusement park but in this case it's a (laughs) pretty much thriving amusement park so it's, that, <laughs> it's definitely different to see w- how you can handle that where it's like oh they're actual patrons patrons here like so mm. now it's like there there is the mystery element but now it's like you kind of got to bob and weave because it's like we can't exactly let all the secret out because otherwise everyone's gonna yeah. get scared off the theme park element came pretty late in the original short uh, they're just living in a haunted house. It's just like a real haunted house. And then when I came to do the comics, I sort of grounded the world a little bit more. 
and I had to justify why these like teens lived in a haunted house with no supervision. And that's when the kind of theme park came about as just a justification for the uh, main setting. But it's the theme parks now become one of the elements I love the most. Um, and it's funny you said abandoned theme park because uh, again, in the books, it's meant to be not a very successful theme park and a little mm. bit run down. Um, but when we decided, when we started making the show, one thing, one note you get a lot in kids animation is um, sort of aspirational stories, or at least you want to make something that the kids watching want to be involved in. They want to be with like be part of the adventures mm. so we decided to design like our dream theme park um and it was the element that the art team really enjoyed the most like all the branding and designing just like trash cans and lamp posts and all that stuff um and we, we got like loads of reference books of like disneyland and we went to a few other places so yeah that was really fun mm. yeah i, I totally can understand that part of you know wanting it to be something that connects to the kids because like that's definitely something where they're always wanting to see something like a setting that they will want to be a part of because you know a lot of tv shows at least at least i could say probably on the american side of things that their whole thing is oh we need a school to be relatable to kids even though kids mm. absolutely freaking hate school <laughs> So, <laughs> so with this yeah. one, it's like, let's try a place that, you know, kids would want to be because they've already dealt with the trauma of school. They want to deal. Let's put them in some place that they kind of want. But, you know, it's still kind of dangerous because, you know, supernatural stuff is happening. Yeah, I've, I've started writing a, th a few pilots um, for adult comedy. And one of the big differences I find with kids shows and adult shows is um like take for example, I I was uh, if this was an adult show, it would probably be a rundown park, and you'd like lean into the like depressing grind of working at somewhere that's supposed to be fun, but it's like really soul crushing. Mm. And I think for kids shows, you sort of just you don't get to that point yet. <laughs> they haven't had those kind of jobs yet, so everything's amazing and exciting. Um, but I think we've managed to get like a little balance. Like I think. I can I consider our show like a YA show or uh, like a young teen show, which when we pitched it, we had to make it a pitch for an eight to twelve show because that's kind of all there was. Mm -hmm. But I think during production, I think things like Infinity Train really helped, and a few other. I think there's a few shows at HBO Max happening, which like you sort of allow to pitch for that age group now. I think, which is good. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah, I could definitely say as I was watching it, this felt like something it's like, I know kids could have a good time with this, but I know I definitely know a lot of adults who would watch this and just really, really grasp every, a lot more with it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, especially especially like going into some of the topics that you were able to touch upon with like a bunch of the LGBTQ plus like issues you were able to touch upon because you guys managed to go in a route that was a bit different from what most would expect like usually like whenever shows touch or media touches on like lgbt plus issues it's always it's sometimes a choice of either go the more it's the way it should be route where it's like everybody is accepting of it and mm -hmm. you know there's no th everyone just understands it's like this is just what it, this is how it is you know like it, we just accept people for who they for what who they are and what they want want to be and such and who they want to be with uh, and but then there's also the other route of you got to face the show the real reality of it it seems like you were going in the route of let's show the reality of this situation how crushing it could be when you're not fully supported and such so i, I do want to ask was there any point in making this series you had a conflict in which route to go totally i i actually love shows that exist in kind of fantasy worlds but uh, like post bigotry like I, I i get the uh, appeal of that and the escapism and i i think that's definitely a route i would love a lot of kids shows to go in 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 the sense that they are aspirational escapism it's kind of teaching you the what the way the world should be but mm. 
I do think there's value in the way in our story and the way that we chose to go with it because I it's that battle between like oh I relate to that character so much which is I think what how our audience have been talking about the show and oh I wish I was like that character which is how a lot of the other shows take it that more uh wish fulfillment way of doing it which i like i said i think both are valid and like i was kind of worried while writing that people would hear that the show had like a trans lead and then they start watching and in the sort of first scene he has like a little uh a little a little conflict with his mum, and hmm. i didn't want people to like tune in and be sad that uh Barney wasn't like super happy and accepted 100% of the time. But it's also the reason why we we didn't want it to be that his family were like extremely violent, extremely unforgivable. It right. our show kind of uh exists I hope hopefully in a kind of nuanced space where cuz we we I mean as a TV show we were thinking some parents would be watching as well. So with their kids so we wanted like lessons for both (laughs) in a way and we as much as the show's from barney's point of view i think i mean i've been seeing this uh scene go around twitter with a lot of opinions (laughs) attached to it Mm. where barney says to like his parents say oh we accepted you and barney says that's what parents are supposed to do that's the bare minimum and i've seen a lot of people retweet that saying that Barney seems really entitled there and and things like that. And I'm like, maybe he does. I think what but maybe he doesn't, but I think if you watch the whole scene in context, the show Barney makes mistakes and Barney isn't completely in the right and his parents aren't completely in the wrong. I think part of the point of the series is them they they're not communicating. They're not telling each other what they want then barney runs away we sort of deal with the fact that he kind of inherited that trait a bit from his mum, who uh, also avoids confrontation and like it's meant to be nuanced it's meant to be about them meeting in the middle and, and not not even in the middle i i think that i do think his parents maybe a you know are wrong in this situation from my <laughs> point of view but it's about his parents need like in that same episode in that scene barney says he's sorry for running away he says that that's a wrong thing to do uh and the problem is his parents won't say sorry they won't acknowledge that they have done anything wrong and i think mm-hmm. these are like hopefully realistic nuances that even a lot of it's like challenging what being an ally is i suppose it's like ally is a verb not a noun and i think a lot of people use it to sort of uh, it's not but you know it should be i i think a lot lot of people like use it to defend themselves like as a shield from criticism and i think barney's parents think they must be the best parents ever but they've sort of dropped the ball in some places um I don't know. I just think, yeah, there's, there's, I, in answer to your question that I've now rambled on about, I think, (laughs) um, I love shows that don't deal with this because you do need that escapism. And I totally get if some audiences Mm -hmm. watch this and it's like a bit too real or a bit too, it's not what they wanted. They need to like watch it slowly. But Mm -hmm. as I've been going on, there's just like this, there's so much nuance and storytelling potential that I get very excited about as a writer. Hmm. Yeah. I dev I definitely could say something like this is honestly I feel needed and I and from what I've seen from some of my LGBT like Q, LGBTQ plus friends, they very much absolutely love the series. Like they love that it's willing to actually challenge, like you said, that allyship because that is a case. Like some people wear ally like a badge of honor, but it's like, but are you putting the work in besides just mm. saying, Hey, I'm not homophobic or I'm not transphobic. You know, it's like, are you actually defending 
them defending your your friends when they need to be defended and such and are you letting them speak up when it's their time to speak and so on and so i think i think that's kind of the nice thing that you you it is it, it, it the show does hit that like nuance honestly i think it does because in a sense it is like barney in this particular situation yeah probably it would have been best to communicate first before deciding hey i'm just gonna run away and just ignore the problem yeah. and pretend like it's not there but it is a case of the parents still should be more supportive because it is true like being a supportive parent it parent is like the bare minimum it's not just oh we birthed you and we gave you shelter and food and all the and a bit of love here and there and that's it it's like no that's your kid if someone's talking bad about your kid you need to pull that power parent move and start being angry get (laughs) almost pull a like you know just be be that soccer mom at the game type stuff Mm -hmm. when someone's getting crazy even if it's your own family you know like like that's something that they uh, yeah no i but i agree i i I just think um the show also explains that that can be hard at times or or and also barney is a teenager and is filled with emotions and and filled with you know him running away is a bit of a rash decision in his particular situation i know it's like life and death and other people's and like the fact that he doesn't tell anyone there's consequences for that. He sort of confronts his brother at one point who basically thought he was dead or something. Um, Mm. There's like one moment where we see his mom and he's, uh, she's really like flippant about him running away as if it's like, Oh, he does this all the time. Um, Yeah. I, I, I just think it's fun to explore and it's definitely the element of the show that we debated the most and, in the writer's room, there were like drafts of the first episode, which um, were a lot more grim, I suppose, where we saw a bit more of how his parents acted. Uh, there, were some, there were certain drafts of the show where there were like missing posters for Barney around the place. And we like really lent into that element of the show. Um hmm. But yeah, finding this balance was really tough. So people saying that it was good um, was very touching, I suppose. Yeah, I think that's just something a lot of people, you know, and this is something I think I mentioned in my like first impressions videos that is definitely you're interested in the supernatural of it, but you're very much going to stay for the character dynamics and everything especially especially the hard truths that it's willing to touch upon that you just don't see in a lot of kids series like it's willing to because this is a show that's willing to say hey this is a real issue let's talk about it let's actually be let's be adults about Mm -hmm. this let's be nuanced about it because we know it because it's not as always it's not as simply a black and white issue it's something there's some stuff to actually be treaded upon precisely you know Mm. and i think I think honestly, you guys were able to successfully touch upon that to the point because it, it, it clearly resonates with a lot of people in the animation LGBTQ plus community. Like, I constantly see so many people praise it for that. Like, I constantly see so many people praise, you know, even the happier moments like Barney's uh, song that he's singing oh, yeah. <laughs> to uh, <laughs> or singing about, like his uh, love song. And don't get me wrong, it's catchy. It's really catchy. I enjoy it. <laughs> I enjoy that song a lot. Oh, yeah. good. Yeah, the musical episode was, um, you know, getting a show made is a dream come true, and then getting to do that was a cherry on top for me. I like, I, I love musicals, and like even that episode, the original inspiration for it was still uh, horror. We we wanted um, it kind of references a lot of horror musicals like Little Shop of Horrors and Rocky Horror and phantom of the opera obviously just things that i think there's like a um a weird connection between the sort of heightened reality of of musicals and horror um Mm. but yeah thank you okay uh to kind of continue on about that about like the heavier nuances we didn't get we know like in the series that barney is very upset by you know his, what his grandmother said to him but the thing is we don't exactly get to 
see the grandmother. You know, we don't exactly hear mm. like what the grandmother said. So I do want so to some they probably wonder would seeing the grandmother and knowing what she said like elevate our connectivity our connection to Barney like really understand exactly how hurt Barney is like so I want to ask like do you think there's any merit to that in wanting to see the grandmother or hear what she said yeah I I uh it's one of those elements we debated a lot um in order to make the parents because in the books the parents are completely off screen um they're more of this like idea of like transphobia and they're a lot worse even though you don't see them and Mm. i think as i said when we thought about parents watching we uh kind of sort of pushed that uh the worst of that bigotry like onto another sort of slightly on off screen unseen character um and I think again, it was just the idea of people tuning into the show that they've heard, like, has a trans lead, and I, them wanting to see themselves represented. I didn't want them to instantly hit this wall of, like, if you saw what she was saying, it would be dead naming or, or just like really bad transphobia. And so, mm. I just didn't really want to show that. We do show in episode three that kind of nightmare version of what happens with. Um, a kind of demonic version of his grandmother. And I think that's right. in some ways that is Barney's truth. Like that's how it felt. So that's about as much as we know. And I think also like, even though Barney brings up the dinner as this like really specific event, I think you're supposed to get the idea that it's just like the straw that broke the camel's back. It's like the last thing that made him, go like at the start of the show his mum says oh you know grandma's coming over for dinner again and it's like they haven't even talked about what happened last time so Mm. that's like that's the moment where barney thinks actually i can't go home and i think in some ways he's not just running away to um escape i think he's also running away to kind of punish them a bit and teach them a lesson Mm. um and obviously, like I said, with his brother, with a few other things. I mean, he does, it, it, there is a um, consequence to him running away because he's immediately put in danger. He's like immediately right. like swept into this demon adventure. So I, uh, I, maybe in a different show, we could have shown the actual scene of the actual dinner. But weirdly in a show of like demons and monsters, I think that would maybe be too scary. <laughs> for mm. for the intended audience right yeah i, I kind of get what you're saying because it's like you already have the horror elements with all these demons and stuff and then you but to tackle on like a grand uh, actual real horror of a family member who's just unaccepting it's like mm, like we're not trying to traumatize our audience <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> so yeah but but i told i totally get that it's like because as you're watching it, you're it's very subtle, you know, you know, like you feel the tensions, like something's uncomfortable, something's wrong here. But I think it's I think that subtlety is what works to its advantage in the fact that it's like where you don't see it all because you don't need to see it all. You just have the tensions to really drive it on, honestly. Yeah, and I think that's definitely the element that probably speaks more to our older audience. And part of the reason for like Pugsley and Courtney's stories, which are a bit, you know, they're the more cartoony characters (laughs) is, but there is still these storylines. I think the younger audience will be able to relate to and like Courtney and Barney's storylines are sort of parallel or in some ways like reverse. Barney has run away from home. Courtney is a demon who can't go home. And so all those themes of like, finding out where you belong and like chosen family and, and all that stuff. They are a bit subtler with Barney and a bit more grounded, but with Courtney, they're very, uh, they're like not subtext or anything. It's very much the text. It's very much. Mm. I can't go home. There is a barrier (laughs) that forces me to not be able to get home. So, and the show does that a few times with a kind of, 
the text and the subtext saying kind of the same things. Like one example is the second episode, which is it's the episode where Barney comes out as trans to Norma and like to the audience, I guess. And mm. um that that's sort of the text. But the subtext in the episode is that Pugsley has learned to talk and is now kind of um you know an unusual <laughs> creature and he and Pugsley like is really proud and wants to like start talking everywhere but Barney wants to hide him away and so in some ways Barney is treating Pugsley like his family have treated him so Mm. and then at the end of the episode Pugsley like goes to a big parade (laughs) and so it's like it's that's some of the that's the storytelling that I'm I I really like where you get to talk to the grown-ups and the little kids about kind of the same thing, but at their level, I suppose. Hmm. Yeah, I, de- I definitely was able to pick up on that. Is that like with Pugsley, you notice it's sort of a parallel with each other, or like a juxtaposition in mm. a sense, in that it's like, you know, Barney is trying to hide himself. Well, Pugsley's like, I'm out and I'm out and proud. Let me <laughs> show myself to the world, you know? Yeah. But you see, but you see, it's like Barney is in that, situation where it's like you're becoming your parents like it that's just not good obviously so but i think that was but that's but that's what i say is like the show speaks to it speaks to people in a very subtle way that i think is what creates such a strong connection with the with like adult audiences definitely Hmm. So, so I remember, I think I saw on your Twitter, you mentioned there was definitely a lot of differences. And you even mentioned just a few minutes ago, like that there's differences between this series and the books. So how exactly, how exactly would you say the uh, book differentiates from the series? You know? Yeah. I mean, I, so Netflix were very supportive and hands off with, the majority of the show. Um, but there were some decisions at the very start, which sort of changed the tra- trajectory quite a bit. Um, first of all, it's like, it's a very rare. I am from what I know for the author to also show run the adaptation mm-hmm. or create the adaptation. And that wasn't like offered to me as a sort of, that's like not normal. It just so happened that I wrote the books, but I also was, an experienced animation director and i you know the the book started off as animation and then went back to animation so yeah. uh i felt that had someone else like bought the rights and i wasn't attached i would have probably demanded that it sticks pretty close to the books but as mm. the kind of creator of this world getting the opportunity to collaborate with other writers and get a budget to tell the version that I would have, you know, wanted to maybe originally, I decided not to like, you know, I didn't want to go into the writer's room with all of this like budget and collaboration and experience and all this stuff and say that, no, the way that I wrote the books when I was 20, 21, making a web comic on Tumblr as I made it up as I went along. That's the best way to tell the story. And that's the only way we should do it. So <laughs> the pilot, like the episode one and chapter one of the books are quite similar. One of the only real differences is that in the books, Barney and Norma already are friends when we meet them. And when we realize that the theme of the show was like found family and i think it was more satisfying to see that happen on screen so that's the only real difference between the first chapter and then i started writing a draft of chapter two which was just uh sorry of episode two which was just an adaptation of chapter two of the books and Mm. it wasn't really working if people have read the books chapter two is quite a favorite one it's quite emotional but it involves um them meeting like a, a new character who's only for that episode. It's like a monster of the week, but uh, the monster is a kind of little child and they sort of have this adventure and it has this sort of emotional payoff. And I, I wanted to adapt that, but then um, 
Netflix said that we haven't got to know these characters yet. We haven't got to know Pugsley yet. And you're introducing mm-hmm. another like cute animal sidekick that get, you know, it ended up, and that's kind of going forward. That's most of the changes we made was that I think when making a web comic, especially if you're a little inexperienced, which was what I was when I started the books, um, you sort of, I, I would problem solve by adding characters. I would Mm. like, Oh, I want to explore this element. I'll add another character. And it means that like in the books, Courtney is not in like half the chapters and other characters, uh, logs and Badia kind of come and go quite a lot. And I think one of the big changes was in the writer's room, we just wanted to explore our main characters as much as possible. So we cut down a lot of secondary and tertiary characters um, and like merged quite a few. Like in the books, Norma isn't that obsessed with Pauline or the park. And Hmm. we made that, we made that choice because um Honestly, because it kind of helps the script to have a character who would like info dump like information <laughs> and like right. wanted to be there. Sometimes I think sometimes write people write scripts and none of the characters like really want to be there, and it's actually really hard to get them to do plot things. And like Courtney right. is another character who there's this um uh there's a character in the show called Gord who is this red slug that like appears mm-hmm. in some shots. And um in the books, they're a very different character. They're like a villain. They talk. Um, and their plot line is that they're a demon trapped on Earth that wants to go home. And mm. in the writer's room, we just... We found that uh, nugget of plot really interesting. And so we kept trying to write Gordon to episodes, but then really struggled to find stuff for Courtney to do. So we just sort of merged those characters. So like, and and, uh, one other thing that Netflix asked is that in the original comics, the characters were kind of in their twenties. It was much more about like the, the the dead end grind of a job in your twenties. And they asked the characters to be aged down to be teens. And I was like, sure, fine. Because I wanted to get my show made. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And but that was definitely like a little change on the tracks that means that some stories you can't do, some, uh, you know, in the twen- in their twenties, it it didn't matter that Barney had like run away, uh, right? Or, or at least running away means something different. Um, whereas as as he's a teen, it did become much more like okay, well, we need to see what these parents' reactions to this is. Um, mm. so there were, that was kind of the main shifts. Uh, and to be honest, like, I, I, I don't know <laughs> how fans of the book feel about the changes. I haven't really seen much of that, but when writing, I kind of hoped that if they, it kind of makes them both unique experiences. There's now like a reason to read the book, watch the show, get something different out of it. And also when we make the show, people don't always know exactly where we're going. We might drop hints, mm. but it could always change. Yeah. No, I, I totally get that. Like, it's definitely something different is seeing, because that's definitely a different type of route I've seen. Like, I have seen, like, some people who made the make a book and then they're the ones to make the mm-hmm. series or, like, the animated series. In this case, it's it was uh, short for a youtube channel first and then became a book series and then became a netflix series full on so that's uh, that's already a whole different like like almost a genre in and of itself <laughs> like a new genre in and of itself somehow but i think that's honestly what's kind of interesting about it and then finding out like there are these differences but they're very much differences that feel like they needed to be made in a sense like you and your crew saw this and said we want to do like let's do this from different from the book let's change this to make this work here and make this part work here you know like you could feel all the meticulous like threading going through Mm. to make it all somehow work within this series because 
like I mean, I'm not so I'm I haven't read the books. I'll admit that, but but you know, I'm interested now. But yeah, I mean, the show doesn't exist because the books were such a massive success. It's not like mm. it's because I was pitching shows and mm. uh, I had developed shows at Disney and Nickelodeon, uh, which had all fallen through. I sort of spent three years making a show for the BBC, which is like the British British Broadcasting Corporation. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, that, you know, that didn't come, that didn't fall, uh, that didn't become a success. Um, so I was, I had like a general meeting at Netflix and I pitched a bunch of shows and just one of them was, oh, and I wrote a book. And if you're interested in that, we can uh, pitch that. So um, not many people have read the book, so I didn't feel too much pressure to stick to them. And in the first mm-hmm. day of the writer's room, I told all the writers, like, what do you like about the book? What don't you like about the book? Like, I wasn't, mm-hmm. I was trying to not have an ego about it because I, I know they're not perfect. Uh, mm-hmm. But the show wouldn't have happened without them. Because just if anyone's listening who wants to pitch shows, it's a lot, in my experience, it seems like a lot easier to pitch a show if you can hand them a book which tells them the whole story and all the character designs are already there. Um, but that's kind of a sad state of affairs, I guess. Mm. Yeah, I would imagine it's like sometimes it is a case of like these ex want to see is there an idea already made and how fast can we just produce it? Because noticeably with Netflix, it is a case of like, we want to just make stuff, make stuff, make stuff. And with something like dead end, it's more like, Oh, you already have the blueprints. So we just got to build it and a few tweaks here and there. So it, it you do kind of notice that with Netflix in a sense. Yeah. I think they have a lot shorter pre-production periods than, uh, I know that Disney sometimes, is developing an idea for years and years and years before they kind of kick it into gear. And I don't know if that's necessarily a good idea. <laughs> I think, um, but we'll see. We'll see. Did you, uh, did you face like any uh, objections in terms of the LGBTQ plus rep? I know like with Netflix, they tend to be a bit more lax and, yeah. But I do wonder, but you know, every now and then sometimes it's like, hey, you can't do that. And with Netflix currently in their state of affairs, it's like, mm-hmm. no, so. I, I genuinely didn't get any pushback. And I'm not just saying that um, I've had that pushback at other places because um, hmm. I've always been trying to make a show like this. But I think because they could read the book and they could see that it was, you know, popular enough. Um, in fact, they um, the problem was that I I sort of had a um, a survival instinct to not mention any of the LGBT stuff in hmm. in the early like development phase. Whenever they brought up that content, I would sort of subconsciously change the subject because I'd been trained that you'd have to like sneak it in somehow later or. Uh, only put it in the final episode or something, um, and but and they sort of called me out and said that, are you like comfortable talking about this? And I was like, mm. oh no, I am. I just I keep thinking I'm going to get fired, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is like how it how it feels when you're making. Well, I've only made one show, so maybe it feels in every mm. show. But when you're making your first show, uh, there was definitely a few decisions early on where I'm like, yeah, 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 fine, anything. I just want it to like. Uh, be made um Mm. so maybe next time i'll have a bit more of a bit more batmode but yeah i never had to fight anyone and i'm very happy to say that all right that's actually i'm I'm actually glad that you were able to get through without any cases of like oh there's this amount this massive amount of pushback because i was talking to a friend of mine earl like a while back saying it's like it is different now from back then when it's like oh it always had to be very subtle last episode type stuff but now it's like we could be as blatant as possible now we could just you could just say this stuff you don't even have you don't have to like shortcut it or try to hide it or nothing it's like just be honest about it and just be you could be real about it 
I mean, I know it can vary from, you know, network to network, but, mm. you know, it's still interesting to see that type of, I guess, growth happening within the industry to be able to just allow LGBTQ plus rep to just r- run freely now. Yeah. And I would say that every single, uh, almost every single moment of that kind of rep in cartoons has come from creators like risking quite a bit to to fight for that. Um, I don't think it's quite the case that like it's the studios pushing for it. I think mm-hmm. often there it often you see that representation in spite of the studios. Right, right. And kind of speaking towards the studios, like oftentimes there can be cases in like animated shows where the style can change from like the initial concept, in this case, like the books. And it usually can be in the fate in the sense of making the animation easier. So which with the show, there is a difference between how the books look and how the series looks. So what exactly caused this like art style change? Yeah, I mean, it's the same as the writing where I, I, I tried my best not to be a control freak egomaniac. I mm-hmm. maybe one day that's what I'll become. But <laughs> I was working with really great people. Our art director, Domi Fox, is stunning. Um, <laughs> you know, like the whole reason why I, I think like as particularly the, the backgrounds, the way that the park looks and the kind of detail on that is really impressive and all the colors um, with the characters. We started off with my designs. We got um, some, uh, some freelance people in as well to just like play around with the, desi- with the designs and trying to find a balance between something that was animatable um with our budget because I, you know i was a bit self-conscious while making the show that we didn't have the budget that some shows do we don't have the budget of you know arcane or or cuphead or a few other netflix shows so we right. were always trying to make something kind of ambitious for what we could so yes i know the show is like puppeted animation and hmm. uh the designs are kind of simple but we made it so that we could finish it you know <laughs> we we, right. we try to make something that we could actually make and we're like a small uk studio this is our first show uh i think that's another bit of context a lot of people don't know because they just see the netflix logo and think that netflix made it um right. th- i mean even the credits there's no no one from netflix is on the credits um, they did commission it. It is theirs, but it's made by Blink Industries, which most people know from uh, Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared, which is that like crazy oh. puppet show. Um, we, they've made that and they've made this. <laughs> um, oh. So a lot of us, uh, I mean, a lot of the crew had worked on a few shows like uh, Gumball, which is made in the UK, um, which a lot of people don't know. Uh but we don't have the same um, constant conveyor belt of new animated shows like Burbank and and places. So mm. most of our crew had never worked on a show like this. And if they had, it would it would be Gumball, which is now a few years old. There's a show called Elliot from Earth that uh, came out recently that some of our team worked on. Um, mm. There was a 101 Dalmatian Street was another UK thing that we... Uh, took a lot of storyboarders and animators from so it's not we're not i mean they're so talented i'm I'm so in awe of them but um we didn't we had to like build a whole animation pipeline ourselves and we did a lot of reading of like making of books of stuff like steven universe and like trying to work out how to make a show um right. we had and then the pandemic happened so we had to kind of learn it all again uh so in terms of art style it was just collaboration like i i just wanted the input of people who knew better and uh i wanted it to be everybody who worked on its show not just mine right no i totally get that like 
that is diff that is interesting that it's like this was a show commissioned by Netflix in a sense versus because it's not like it's not like they just it's uh, obviously it's not made in house it's just mm. overseas now but, but they still retain the full rights to it yeah i mean they they did a lot of effort to treat us like we were one of their in-house shows and we like did a big presentation to all the other show crews they would always update me about other shows they put me in contact with a lot of other um netflix showrunners which was nice um but it was still a, a uk production and uh i don't know i'm really proud of it when i if i do see people complain about the art style it just completely washes off me because all i see is like well we made a tv show <laughs> like in, right. in, a, in a pandemic in an, in a country that doesn't make shows like this very much so i was i'm just really proud of it Oh okay. yeah, I definitely could say it's one of those shows where for some people it is a case of maybe they look at the style and it's like, mm, I'm not sure. But then you actually look at it and watch it. You you realize, oh, there's definitely more to this show than you 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 would first think. Like it is definitely a don't judge a book by its cover type of deal. You know, I mean, I see a lot of people say uh, it looks like a Tumblr webcomic from 2014. <laughs> and I'm like. It's an adaptation of a Tumblr webcomic from 2014. <laughs> like, it's not an insult to me. I'm like, yeah, I know. It looks like that. I'm maybe, you know, not every show I'll make from now on will look that, like that. But with the writing and the designs, it just was a constant dance between trying to make something new and also make it look like the books and, and keep it familiar. Um, mm. So, yeah. All right. All right. So there's a character who it definitely I feel is a major resonant among like neurodivergent people with myself included in that crowd. And so I do want to ask is like, was she meant to be a representation of neurodivergency? I know like a lot of people see her as part, uh, as part of the autism spectrum possibly, or, but would you want to like clarify exactly if she is or isn't? Yeah. Norma um, is autistic. I the story of making that decision is kind of interesting because uh in the webcomics I didn't I never said that. I was just writing her to be relatable. <laughs> and then I thought that's how everyone thought and how everyone sort of saw the world. And then when autistic readers said like, oh, I really had Canana as this and or oh, she's really relatable to me. I kind of thought, oh, okay, um, I'll I'll write her that way, and then mm -hmm. so we, when we came to make the show, we had an autism consultant, and we had uh, we had our scripts checked, and she said, "Wow, you must have done a lot of research." And I was like, "Not really." <laughs> <laughs> and so, long story short, uh, it was through making the show that I um, got diagnosed with autism. And it like made a lot of things make sense. And I kind of, off, mm. not everyone, I know not everyone uh, needs like professional diagnosis, but it helped me give, get the sort of confidence to write her how I wanted to, I guess. And um, yeah, most of what Norma goes through is my experiences and uh, especially stuff about how, like her special interests in, in Pauline give her a lot of joy, but there is consequence, um, not to spoil too much of the show, but <laughs> that feeling of, I guess, being disappointed in someone that you've looked up to, um, which I know a lot of people can experience, but I think when it's like your special interest, when it's so much of your life, it can properly short circuit your brain like you can it can really affect mm. you but other than that i mean we we i guess we talk a lot a bit more specifically about her anxiety on the kind of there's a beach episode where for two episodes we've seen norma kind of super confident when it comes to like demons and the park and all of that stuff but the like just hanging out and chilling on a beach with people is the thing that makes her the most scared 
Mm. Um, so yeah, a lot of people in the writers' room drew from their experiences, uh, and all throughout the crew actually, when it came to like her design, her, her animation, the storyboarding, we tried to, um, we like had a few things about her that we wanted to, we were really conscious about her, um, uh, eyeline and if she would look people straight in the eye, but she only does right. it. She only does occasionally. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm actually really glad that people have been bringing her up a lot in it, like viewers and stuff, because all the press I did before the show, like she was almost never mentioned, <laughs> even in the mm. trailers, she wasn't really in them very much. Um, and I, I get why. And I think Barney's the more, um, obvious talking point, I suppose, mm. but mm it didn't bother me because I knew that when people watched the show, that the Norma storyline would like sneak up on them and they'd realize it was like really major part of the show. Oh yeah. I think, I think that was what kind of caught me off guard a little bit with her is that it's like, Oh, they're finally being blatant. That it's like, she very much is autistic. They don't, like you don't mention it exactly, but it's like, you see the behavioral patterns and it's interesting to know that you said that basically you were like writing her from the pr- perspective of someone who from experience, basically, yeah. like you were writing her from experience. And so that's I think that's what really makes her, makes her like feel like such a genuine character because she is a genuine like character. Like she's written genuinely because it's like this is from someone who has been diagnosed as autistic, like who mm-hmm. is on the spectrum. So I think that's what makes her I think that's what I think so many people are like connecting with so much is that it's like, oh, you're writing an autistic person written as a regular person, you know, that with their mannerisms and everything, their obsessions and all that, their their hyper obsessions and such. And, and you know, their uh, uh, was the stemmings and such. Yeah. So I think that's what I I think that's what many people are going to take away is that this feels like a very genuine type of series to be coming from all these different angles, clearly with a diff- with a very diverse crew, like um, from different backgrounds who can put all- their all into it and make sure it feels like this is what the real experience is, not just someone's imaginations from their, from watching TV or so like actually people who lived like this, you know, I think that's just what's so strong about this series, honestly. Thank you. I mean, I, when I made the webcomic, I didn't, I never really thought of the comic as quote unquote diverse. I just was, mm-hmm. the show is, you know, despite having demons and stuff, it is set in the real world and it's about people mm-hmm. in the real world meeting this kind of supernatural world. So it didn't, I don't know, it's like a no brainer to represent the real world as the people that I know and the people that, uh, like, none of the characters are like specifically based on friends of mine, but it's like my friend group. Like that's just kind of how we are. So yeah, it's interesting. I'm glad it's resonated. Yeah. I honestly could see this standing up among a lot of people in the animation community is like a major like favorite of theirs that Mm. they just absolutely are in love with. Thank you. Thank you. So, so I would want to ask, who would you say is like your favorite character? <laughs> uh, oh, that's like choosing your children. I <laughs> like, I mean, I'll quickly say why I like all of them. Like Barney is definitely the closest I have to uh, what, what you'd consider a, an OC, I suppose. Like even before right. the um, YouTube short, I was drawing that kind of character uh in the books he like um becomes a wrestler and so i was always drawing this like blue haired chubby wrestler character <laughs> and then obviously i just said why norma means a lot to me um pugsley is like he's i always think he's the one that people sort of instantly love quickest because he's just a funny dog and then mm. as the show goes on you like he does have these levels but he kind of just keeps the tone light throughout. Maybe the th- I might agree with a fan base who seem to have really, really 
uh, enjoyed Courtney because mm. I've seen a lot of posts which were like, wow, the show is so diverse. It really represents all this stuff, you know, perfectly. Also me, Courtney is my favorite character. Like I like this, <laughs> I like this demon thing. Um, but I think the reason why Courtney, I mean, I love Courtney's design. She's so fun to draw and like big fangs, big eyes, all that stuff. Um, but there's like a little bit of all the other characters in Courtney. Like I compared mm. Courtney trying to get home to Barney's storyline. I think Courtney, like Norma, maybe doesn't quite interact with the real world how they're supposed to, or or finds it really hard to to relate to people. And like Pugsley has this kind of supernatural, crazy energy. So mm. I will today. I'll say Courtney, um, just because I they're the most fun to like storyboard to write for Courtney dialogue is always really fun to write. So that's how I'm feeling today. But if you ask me tomorrow, it would probably be different. Okay. Uh, I will admit Courtney felt very different as I was watching her, but I did. I noticed this one joke you all told in like episode two, it was around the end and Courtney's just like sitting on a washing machine and then, you know, the washing machine, like, she's just all happy and giddy. At first you're thinking, okay, she's just enjoying that a little too much. Then it goes off. She's like, oh, it's like, am I just dirty minded? They just do what I think they did. <laughs> Look, Courtney's just this demon. Courtney likes a thrill, likes a, a fun time. <laughs> I'll confirm, nor yeah. deny what's going on there. <laughs> all right, then. So with the end of this first season, we saw, you know, everything's resolved in the sense of, you know, they fought off the Demon King and, you know, his sister. But then we find out there is something possibly bigger happening with some involving angels. Mm -hmm. So is there any like hints you want to mention that might happen sometime in, in like for possible a future season or so? Yeah, if if we get more seasons, you'll be going up and down that elevator. Um, you'll start to realize, I think, the context of why the demons invaded Earth, why, uh, you know, what a demon king is, and that kind of hierarchy. Um, there's like a few references to angels in the last episodes. We find out Courtney's cuffs were put there by the angels so um it, and they're in the books so they, they have this they're kind of an authority uh mm. sort of uh body i don't know what to call it <laughs> like uh they're, they're in charge and i guess um we'll have to wait and see if they're benevolent or or not <laughs> mm. um there, I will say that like it's really fun that people have been picking up on that that final moment at the end. Uh, I didn't want to leave them on too much of a cliffhanger. Like it still has a nice resolution that episode, but mm. it's nice to hint at. You know, they go in the elevator. You see, there's loads of buttons, and I want to press all of them and show you every floor. <laughs> I suppose. All right. So I will say. It, it'd be interesting when you do the angels if we see if it's like because i don't know if you've seen like this thing where the biblically biblically accurate angels and they're like these eldritch monster freakish things yep. with like like they're just made up of eyeballs and feathers and wings and stuff and it's like okay like it'd be it, it just would be funny to me if y'all did something like that yeah <laughs> i i so they're in the books and i got a lot of comments from people saying oh, you're inspired by Bayonetta. And <laughs> I'm not saying I'm not, but I think we and Bayonetta are both drawing off that that thing where they... Angels are terrifying. And it's funny that like <laughs> the, the sort of angel phrase is be not afraid, and it's the scariest thing you right. can say. <laughs> so anyway, right. Like, um, so we're playing off of that. I think... I've, I actually saw a tweet from a fan today, and I, I scroll through all of it. 
I've seen everything. <laughs> um, mm. Which was saying that they theorize that the angels won't be completely good or completely bad, and the demons aren't completely good or completely bad. And I think that's, like I was saying, that's kind of the nuance I like playing in. Um, so that's th- they're a different style of of, uh, so- of of you know culture and society than the demons, but we'll have to wait and see if that's good or bad. All right, I'm definitely going to be looking forward to more of uh, Dead End Paranormal Park and keeping up with Barney and them's adventures. I'm definitely looking forward to seeing more. Thank but, you. So, but really, I want to say thank you for joining me and taking in all these questions and just chatting it up. You've been a pleasure. I'm really glad to have you on. Oh, thank you. This has been Sit Down to Think, and always remember, people, it's just a thought. The opinions expressed in this are of the individual guest and only of the individual guests and not of their employers.